Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Ben McCoo, National Security Writer for Vice Canada. Indeed. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. This episode is brought to you by Kelly Towhill, Helen Spitzer, Nicholas Remillard, Benjamin Gradich, Owen O'Dwyer, Jason Bevan, Jamie R., Keith Bissett, and Matt Beckett. Matt, why did you decide to be awesome? Because there are lots of interesting stories and perspectives that I wouldn't hear about if it weren't for Canada Land. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Painless billing, cloud accounting, tons of features, including the new feature of asking for an advance. We've done some journalism recently on some problematic relationships between uh, the magazine industry and freelancers. The ability to get some money in advance before you put a ton of work into a story, before you put a ton of work into anything you're up to, that's a really good idea. And I think the freelancers should start asking for that. And FreshBooks is empowering you to ask for 5 or 10% in advance. FreshBooks, of course, also lets you track your time, file your receipts, and you save time and you get paid quicker. FreshBooks.com. Check it out. Try it for free for 30 days. When you do become a customer, tell them who sent you. You'll be doing the show a favor. Painless billing with FreshBooks.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Okay, Ben, hold on one second because I need to play everybody an important public service announcement from CanadaLand, pre-recorded. Do you listen to all three CanadaLand podcasts and read everything we put on our website? Why? There's, no, that's not, that's not a good way to do this at all. (laughs) So it just occurred to me that it is possible that some of you may not be listening to all three weekly Canada Land podcasts and reading every article that we put on the website. There's so much good stuff that we're doing every week that uh, you might be missing. So we decided to start a newsletter. And the author of that newsletter is with me right now. Can you... Can you introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, my name is Vicky Mochama, and I'm a writer, and I'll be writing this fun little newsletter called Not Sorry. And so, Vicky, you're going to be, like, plucking from all of our stuff the best stuff, the most interesting stuff. Yeah. This is basically a newsletter for lazy people, and I'm a very lazy person. So if you're too lazy to check out everything and you want it all in one place, this is the best way to get at it. So how can people get it? Do we know that yet? I don't know. Do we know that? Like, we're going to have a link on the website. Yeah. And, um... Oh, I meant to ask. Does it get its own Twitter feed? I don't want to do that. I don't know. Let's decide that later. Okay. Vicky, where can people get this? You can get it on the Canada Land website. Go to canadalandshow.com right now. Look for the instructions on how to sign up for Not Sorry, Canada Land's new weekly newsletter. You'll be glad that you did. Uh. How do you feel? Like I'm living my worst nightmare. Feeling horrible? Yep. Right on. My liberal cabinet will have an equal number of women and men. A historic day is a historic one. It's obviously a monumental. It's a historic day. See uh, history unfold. Cabinet change, Ben. 
Trudeau swearing in, Trudeau mania, the nation's love affair with uh, Justin Trudeau. Did you catch the coverage today? Well, I did catch the coverage, and what I thought was interesting was that he allowed people onto the grounds, especially journalists, and there were some lines where the journalists were allowed to kind of roam freely, and that hadn't happened with Harper. And as someone who actually did cover parliamentary politics in Ottawa, I can tell you that the control that be instituted at Rideau Hall or at 24 Sussex was always really, it was a stranglehold. So I almost don't blame some of the people on the Hill covering this to be like, oh my God, I can actually like get close to the prime minister and maybe ask him a question. I can kind of see why those vibes would sort of spill into how they might cover him. But I mean, right now there's a lot of hope around him, but we'll see when it actually, when he starts making laws and passing bills. Isn't it wonderful that journalists can ask him a question? Isn't it wonderful that your colleague Justin Ling was able to ask him a question, which he completely dodged? Trudeau completely dodged this question about whether his climate change targets are in any way rational if the provinces will buy it. He just didn't even – he didn't mention – the question was about will the provinces buy into this. Trudeau, I don't believe, used the word province in his answer. So if we're celebrating that the prime minister will answer our question and completely – I mean, we can't even say that he answered the question, that when we ask him a question, words will emit from his mouth that follow the question, and that's cause for celebration. That's a pretty low bar, and maybe that is where the bar is being set, pretty low. Did you read Terry Glavin in, 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 the, in the post? No, I didn't read it. Writing about, uh, as he put it, grizzled Mandarin Peter Harder to lead Trudeau's transition to power doesn't look like a harbinger of a fresh new start, and he goes into Peter Harder's history with the Liberal Party. And it, like, it's not as if this is a whole new – like I think – I feel like we're kind of trying to sell this to Canadians as like this is sort of our Obama moment. We have this transformative transitional figure and hope and change. No, we just wanted to boot the other guy out and the jury is out on whether this guy is fresh new change or whether it's going to be a return to all the problems the Liberal Party brought this country in the past. I mean maybe he gets a, a, a grace period. I mean it's out with the old but it's a Trudeau back in power – with the Liberal Party of Canada, I mean, it's not. If this was the NDP, totally. it, would be the, it would be a massive revolution. Yes. I think. But you know, the campaign that Mulcair ran certainly didn't add up because I think it came, became anybody but Harper at a certain point, and people were not convinced it was going to be Mulcair. And that might have to do with the media as well. And you, I don't know if, if Mulcair could have worn that crown of great transition as much because of the way that he ran the campaign. We'll never get to find out because of the way he ran that campaign, right? And because I think of the way the media handled it. But you're absolutely right. I've been reading all this stuff as well. Like, oh, the boomers are done. Finally, it's the post-boomer Canada. This is a boomer hangover. If, if It's Trudeau. It's a Trudeau. It's about – it's still kind of about boomers. So I completely agree in that way because, you know, it is. There's – I mean, I'm sure boomers really contributed in getting into power. But at the same time, it's paused to reflect that, you know, this is a, a prime minister in his 40s with his, you know, his chief advisor is a guy in his 40s. So it is, I think, even demographically to me more of a change. You're seeing younger people in cabinet, younger people at the top. And, you know, someone mentioned to me – uh, recently that for the next 30, 40 years, we're the sons and daughters of boomers. We're going to be almost calling the shots for the rest of the elections for our lifetime. And this is almost the first mark of it, which I thought was an interesting perspective. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that is like uh, the argument was made that uh, this is probably we're never going to see another boomer prime minister. I don't know that that means that the overwhelming focus government spending is still, I think, four to one for older Canadians as opposed to younger Canadians. And I'm I'm still just, you know, paranoid and convinced they're going to control Canada from their, their cottages or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. My parents have a cottage, so. Right. <laughs> this is this is the thing, Ben. OK, <laughs> give me a second to get this out here. <laughs> Rant beginning one. <laughs> I feel like the dynamic is flipped. OK. If the country is in love with Justin Trudeau, 
then the media should be raising an eyebrow and being like, calm down, everybody. We're asking the tough questions. And I get the sense that the dynamic is actually flipped. Like the, like the public is saying, we the jury's still out on this guy. We wanted the old guy out, and, we, and this seemed like the, the winner. This was the horse to bet on. They so gave a majority, on. though. My sense is that we're like, okay, we're, we're giving you a strong mandate, but we don't know you yet, and it's for you to prove yourself, and we've got some serious questions about whether you can deliver. That's my sense of where the public is at with Justin Trudeau. I don't think it's Trudeau mania. I think the public is waiting to see if this guy can deliver. And it's the media who's saying, we're in love, it's Trudeau mania. And, it, and it's, it's absolutely backwards. I think it should be the other way around. Okay, I don't mean to be just like wholly skeptical and dismissive because th- th- there was a legitimately historical aspect to what happened today. A 50% female cabinet is of definite historical importance. I'm glad that we're talking about that. But Ben, I'm not so sure about the way we've been talking about it. I'm speaking with specific reference to this this panel on The National where it was Wendy Mesley hosting and uh, John Kay, Tasha Carradine, and Sachi Cole. Uh, and here's what that sounded like. Look, it's a quota. I'm old-fashioned. I don't like quotas. I think it should be a strict meritocracy. So we do want to hear your manly opinion in just a moment, John. <laughs> a little outnumbered. But ladies first, isn't part of the problem that women don't want to go to Ottawa? But is the suggestion that women are less able or less willing to do I that? I think well, as a woman with children, yes, I do think a lot of women are less willing. Psychologically, it wears much, much more on her than it does on me. That's all I'm saying. I, I just don't think that it's just women who have those sort of struggles. And I also don't think that those are the structures that we should continue to uphold. I think men uphold. are willing to pay a higher price in their personal life for perceived glory and prestige. I think men have uh, culturally been permitted to make those sacrifices. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That, so that was the, the National Sunday Night panel with uh, about the gender parity of, of the, at that time, the coming Trudeau cabinet with John Kay and Tasha Carradine taking the position that, uh, the gender quotas are a bad thing. And Sachi Cole arguing the other side. And Ben, can you and I, as, as a couple of dudes have this conversation? I don't think so. Especially since I'm a national security reporter <laughs> and a white guy, uh, I would not want to appropriate anyone's experiences. Let's get Jane in here. Uh, Jane, uh, we're checking our white male privilege, and uh, our white female editor, Jane Litvinenko, is now joining us. Can you guys share a mic? Yes, we can. Okay, so Jane, thank you for joining us here. I think that the, the burden on Saatchi's shoulders was enormous, like just the number of different groups that she was there to solely represent, you know? Yeah, women, people of color, young people. It's just like you can't wrap your head around all the ways you have to educate the rest of the panel. This is something that we that even with your generous participation here, Jane, we can't actually account for it. Like I can imagine, but I don't know from personal experience. Like when I speak, I just get to speak as me, and as a white dude, it's just like the default. And so it it serves people like John Kay and myself to like talk about meritocracy and the individual because I've never actually had to speak in any kind of public forum where it's been my job to represent an entire people. And if I screw it up, they're mad at me. Yes, you're a privileged white man. Thank you for establishing that. But if you're going to talk about things that affect other people, then the people who are affected need to be a part of the discussion and they need to be a dominant part of the discussion, if you ask me. Yeah. And we did ask Saatchi and, I, and and she's sort of, I think, over this or like just not, not wanting to talk about it more right now. But I mean, you're right. Like there's just something bizarre if you if you imagine any kind of like stakeholder conversation about black people, about Jewish people. And there's not a black person at the table. There's not a Jewish person at the table. Then that itself doesn't matter what the, uh, what the positions held are. There's a problem right there. The way 
that panel came off was just a huge gang up on Saatchi, who would have had to take 20, 30 minutes to address every point. When I first saw the panel, the way it looked like to me is if a teacher asked uh, a basic philosophical question in like Philo 101, and Tasha and John were like the first year eager students trying to philosophize about it, and Sachi was like a grad student who needed this class to pass, being like, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> If Sachi could have, like, pressed the pause button and be like, okay, let's start with, <laughs> you know, the history of sexes. Like, like what, what is white privilege? Like, it was, it was very, like, for beginners. And I think that it's not her role to represent everybody and it's not her role to, like, educate people. But if you have a conversation at such a basic level of, like, why is it important to have women in, in, in elected office? It's just like, oh, my God, must I? And know? not to mention that, not to mention – Sure, let's just set how unfair the panel was constructed aside. And let's set aside that this is probably the most watched panel they've had in five years. Ben, you were talking about that. Like, <laughs> like you said, uh, like, yeah, like, did you see, like, it's gotten 7,000 views or 9,000 views or something on, on YouTube? And I'm like, wait a second, that's a lot for a, a CBC national clip. It's a, that's a lot. That is a lot. I've seen them in the hundreds before. And I think to myself, this is our national broadcaster. Why aren't more people watching this? And I mean, to be fair, they have their own players on their own website. So maybe like another dozen yeah. people watched it on CBC.ca. Oh, because it's great because the pre-roll <laughs> ads on CBC.ca are so pleasurable. No, if you're going to watch that at all, you're going to watch it on YouTube. If you're going to share it, you're going to share it on YouTube. And they have to fuck up that badly for anybody to watch it. Anyway, it as I was saying, uh, the whole premise of the panel is flawed. Sorry to cut you off, me cutting, cutting no, me off. quite all right. Because why are we even having a discussion whether we have qualified women in the first place? It's like, like, have we ever had a discussion about whether we have qualified men in cabinet? No. Then, like, what is this? Why are we even talking about it in such basic, bad terms? Like, why does this merit time on national television? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, it was sort of evoked in the in that, like, funny Beaverton headline of – uh, thousands of men. What was it? It was like 50% gender parity inspires 5,000 men to suddenly give an M about meritocracy. I think it was like a 5,000% increase in men caring about meritocracy. Must you always <laughs> fact check me? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like you don't hear like all of these. It's not like they're pro meritocracy voices who, who pipe up every time there's too much regional representation or too many political favors being handed out. And you go through some of the cabinet appointments in the past that had nothing to do with merit. Nobody was making a merit You know what? If a meritocracy looks like our previous cabinet, then I don't want a freaking meritocracy. <laughs> or like the John Iveson column in the Post. And like, I don't know if Iveson wrote his headline on this and it's always possible the editor wrote it, but it was something to the effect of if Trudeau uh, makes it 50% women, it's going to be a cabinet full of nobodies. And don't even get me started on John Kay's sub-columning instead of sub-tweeting where he's wrote a column in our favorite publication, The Walrus. After this whole Saatchi thing, after her follow-up on BuzzFeed. Thing, speaking about how uh, we're ignoring class issues and not talking about who is it that is not the middle class. Like, who doesn't make money in Canada? His whole point is that we're ignoring people from, from lower classes who are not as represented in the cabinet. It's like, okay, but that's mostly like new immigrants. That's people of color. That is families with one parent. And 
to ignore that is just like a whole other thing. Like this whole thing is maddening. There's so much to it that I don't understand why we're even having this discussion. Let's have all these discussions. Like this whole idea of like what discussion to have on the panel. I think, you know, Sachi, I think she misspoke at one point said, well, let's solve this gender parity thing before we deal with uh, diversity representation. And then a lot of people are upset with her about, I'm paraphrasing her, but a lot of people are upset like that we have to prioritize the sexism issue before the racism issue. And then it's, well, John Kay saying, no, it's not about sexism or racism. It's about classism. It's like, you know what? Let's have all of these conversations. It's, we don't have to pick our favorites and, and like solve one before we can move on to the other because we're never going to solve any of them. They're all things that are very like we're all very squinchy about talking about this stuff. We don't like to talk about it. What are the rules about talking about it? I'm so glad we're finally talking about it. I was just happy that Sachi was on there to represent that opinion full stop. Like it's – I think it's a great thing and I'm really happy she was even just there. Ben, <laughs> why are the Mounties after you? <laughs> Um, I made a habit for a little while, and I still do to some extent, of talking to uh, people in the Islamic State. You have been actually making contact with – is it plural? Is it a Canadian or Canadians who are active with ISIS? Oh, yeah. ISIS? He's not the only one. Okay. So you've been reporting on Canadian ISIS uh, operatives, members. Fighters. Jihadists. Spokespeople. <laughs> you Skype. You chat. <laughs> Never Skyped, but. No, what do you, how do you, like, uh, first I'm just curious about this. Sure, I can, I, can, I can back it up to, um, back in 2013, actually, myself and another colleague of mine at Vice were kind of combing the internet on Twitter and Instagram and various social media apps that started showing these guys who were had a lot of graphic images of what looked like them fighting in Syria and Iraq. It was pretty crazy. And we started to realize that this was like for real. These guys were actually millennials from Western countries who were posting about their experiences as jihadists online. And it kind of evolved into Twitter. And they started putting their KIK messaging app names that's, on their Twitter that's accounts. A, that's a certain messaging Kick, app? Yeah, Kick. Okay. It's Kick app. It's actually quite popular in the Middle East, which okay. is interesting because that's, that's likely why they were using it. So I began to reach out to them. And there was one incident in particular where someone tipped me to the death of, uh, of a Canadian. He himself was a Canadian. And I wasn't sure about the veracity of what he was saying. And then it was true. And I wrote about it uh, for the Canadian press at the time. And then it really made me realize that this was an actual thing. And then, you know, next thing you know, we start realizing that ISIS was quite active on social media. And this was a major campaign for them. And this is sort of like the seeds of it. And then right around uh, spring 2014, I caught wind of a Canadian online, went under various pseudonyms, one being Abu Usama. And uh, I made contact with him and he was claiming to be uh, a famous Canadian, actually, who'd burned his passport in a video on YouTube. So we had a discussion and I'd been messaging with him quite a bit. And I published an interview about him in which he said a lot of newsmaking things and that, you know, CSIS let me go when, after they interrogated me before I left. Uh-huh. He said to me how he got there. He said what he's there, what he's doing. What and, was he doing? Was he, actually, was he involved in – Well, actually, that was one thing that I thought was really interesting from, from getting that perspective. And that's the thing is that just to preface this, I thought it was really important to get the perspectives of all these young, you know, Canadians, Americans, Belgians, Dutch, who were going across and fighting for this really horrific organization. And it was incumbent on journalism at large to figure out why they were doing it. Yeah. So it's a great time to do it. And um, one thing he told me was that, you know, Dala, I think is where he put it, which is always the state, uh, they place you where you're supposed to be. So, for example, he said, if you're a photographer, we'll put you into the media. If you're, you know, if you're into uh, 
computer software will make you a hacker. Uh-huh. If you're a fighter, you'll be a fighter. So he almost went there for a lot of, I don't know, for some sort of sense of, uh, of belonging, which was, uh, to me, was a provocative sort of piece of information. Well, it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, that's always been the idea, I guess, that the, uh, this but, is a kind of a cult of purposeless uh, and alienated and disenfranchised young people around the world. But I think there was a time where you didn't really know why. Because, yeah. I mean, if you look at if you just back it up, there was what John Walker Lind yeah. fought with the Taliban. Yeah. It was a massive deal. And people didn't really know, like, why he was fighting with the Taliban. He was this American kid. Yeah. But then suddenly, in like this new age of the internet, you start having a lot of Canadians and Americans going over to fight with the Islamic State. And I think there was a need to figure out why. Yeah. Though I, I guess I'm curious about a lot. There's so much legislation that gets built on that idea that they're trying to seduce our youth and there's so much uh, incursions into civil liberties on that basis that I'm mm-hmm. always want to ask those detailed questions about like, OK, how big a deal is this? How many people have we found? Maybe that's a different topic. But I think at that point, is, there's probably – I think the last figures were 30, which is a lot. 30 Canadians. Well, 30 people who actually do damage is a lot. Yeah. Um, Possibly more too is the other thing. Right. Do we want to rewrite – Oh, absolutely not. Freedoms around, you know, absolutely not. This is obviously fascinating stuff right. that you were able to to root out and make mm-hmm. contact and report. So, when did the RCMP get involved? They got involved officially in, I believe it was late February. I'd actually, I was in Russia when they came and served our offices with production orders. Uh-huh. Uh, There's two officers, one in Can- or one in uh, Montreal and one in Toronto. And they searched the production order, which is basically similar to a search warrant. And they were asking for all of my communications, any of my notes. It was just this massive phishing net. Essentially just like if you've talked about them and it's on camera or it's on paper or it's in an app, we want it. And at that point, um, I refused immediately. And our lawyers began the fight and essentially said we're going to resist this production order. And we've been sort of having this legal back and forth ever since. And then finally – and I should mention also there was a publication gag order on us. We couldn't actually talk about it on the basis of national security and ongoing investigation. So I had to kind of sit on this as this top secret thing for eight or nine months uh-huh. until last week, which was really relieving to be able to tell my parents that I was sort of subject to uh, a major RCMP national security terrorist investigation. What's the worst case scenario for you? Um, if we're fighting the production order, if we fail and I don't, give over my information. They'll ask me to, which I'll refuse. There's a possibility where it could be either a jail or a fine. So yeah, there's a possible bleak outcome. I don't think so. I hope mm-hmm. not. I hope our country is better than that. The RCMP, let's give them benefit of the doubt that this is a good faith uh, effort to investigate uh, possible threats of Canadian national security. They know that you've been in contact with ISIS, mm-hmm. maybe you're sitting on something that even if you don't realize it could help them thwart a terrorist plot and you're refusing to hand over mm-hmm. the information. So why are you refusing to do that? So first of all, I would say that that's not happening whatsoever. Anything compelling that I've written or any any exchanges I've had with them, I've almost published in full. So I, it, it actually completely dumbfounds me as to what they want. Anything they've ever said That's to me. That's not your business, they would say. They would say, you, yeah. don't, you might not even know the relevance of it, they might say. Maybe, but you know what it is? This is, and that's the other thing too I want to clarify to some extent, is that this isn't about source protection as much as it's about protection of journalistic practices. Because look, I shouldn't be made subject, or any journalist should be subject to be an investigative arm of a policing agency yeah. or an intelligence agency, because that will greatly diminish the news gathering method. I mean, if a source talks to you and he or she thinks 
that anything you do or anything you get from them could wind up something in the metadata, something exactly. Yeah. Who knows what it is, right? Yeah. Could help them get convicted in any in any case. And you know what? This is a fairly unsafe resource. But that said, he's still a source of mine, and we did discuss things. And I have a responsibility to protect that that relationship and how I gather news. Yeah, it, it is, I think, an essential case for journalism. Like, people who have things to hide won't talk to journalists if journalists have to give things to the cops. Exactly. It's just as simple as that. We won't have Edward that Snowden. kind of information. We won't have it anymore. Yeah. So good on you and good on Vice for backing you up. So they're, they're taking care of the legal side of this and they're giving you uh, every, every— They are. They are Every absolutely. resource and defense that you need. Yeah, absolutely. They've given me a great lawyer. Uh, Ian McKinnon and Patrick McGuire has been particularly uh, an advocate for me, which is, you know, I've been extremely thankful for. Yeah. You know, Vice understands why this is a big deal. And I appreciate that a lot. And I think, you know, that said, I do believe, you know, Michelle Shepard tweeted about the case and said, because she also had contact with the same alleged ISIS source later than me, but she had contact with them. And she said, if we were served with the same thing, we'd fight it. And I do believe that because I think the Toronto Star would fight it. And I think other media organizations would as well. Now, Marty Tapao will be a sea eagle for the next four years. It's a big story. What is a surprise is the way the news was broken. Meet J. Kelly Nestruck. He's the Canadian theatre critic who today became League's latest newsbreaker. A copy of Tapao's contract was supposed to be emailed to the sea eagle's boss, Joe Kelly. But it went to J. Kelly Nestruck and he tweeted, It didn't impress the eagles who are hoping to keep Tapao's four-year deal quiet for a few weeks. Well, we thought we had a good couple of weeks uh, airspace and uh, all of a sudden it's out there. Tell me, what do you know about um, Canadian theatre? Not <laughs> a lot. <laughs> oh, I, I just love this story. So I, I think I went to school with J. Kelly Nestruck in Montreal. It's, uh, wonderful critic, uh, uh, theatre critic. I don't know if he's a wonderful critic. I don't read theatre criticism. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> Kelly. Um, I'm sure you are. Broke a huge... New Zealand rugby story? Yeah. How did that happen? Apparently, a guy named Joe Kelly is the CEO of the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles. (laughs) So, J. Kelly, Joe Kelly, somebody sent J. Kelly Nestruck, Globe Mail theater critic, this information, this hot scoop about New Zealand rugby. And so our own theater critic here broke the news. <laughs> By the way, from that clip, I now know how people feel when they listen to, like, Canadian hockey players talk about a story. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it just sounds a lot funnier. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know that, you know, this is, like, uh, a laugh for us, but Jay Kelly, Nestrecki, got served, like, uh, a legal notice. What? And, um, yeah, from the sports, from the rugby team. And he got a lot of shit from people saying, like, well, the gentlemanly thing to do would, would be to just return the email or delete lead it and not to report it. But come on. I mean, uh, like, yeah, and like a super, if you're taking it really like stringently, you know. But what would you do? I don't know. I, I can't say I wouldn't have done what he did. I, I might have sent it back, but I mean, it's pretty hilarious. I would have to tweet it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, I Especially like, just the name of the team. Like The sheer joy that I would take in tweeting it as as uh, Kelly did. It would be like this afterthought when somebody got on me about the ethical, like, oh, yeah, I guess the, maybe I should have thought about that. But also it's just like, it's sports. Like, yeah. really? Yeah. Who it's cares? not. It's not life or death news. No, it's like, really? A legal notice? I'm so jealous. I would love to break a major New Zealand rugby story. <laughs> you are the first one in Canada to say that. Uh, Mark Weisblatt from 1236 remembered this. 
in July 2003, Jay Kelly Nestruck left his cell phone in a cab where Hall of Fame pitcher Pedro Martinez found it and returned it. This is not Jay Kelly Nestruck's first brush really? with major league sports. I don't know. The okay, right I guess the, the answer here is like, why isn't Sportsnet hiring this guy? Because he's got scoops for nothing. Like. <laughs> Jay Kelly Nestor is the Zelig of of sports. He's just going to stumble into sports story yeah. after sports story. God bless you, Jay Kelly. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. And I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown, where you can send me your New Zealand sports tips. Ben, where yes. can people find you? I'm on Twitter at B-M-A-K-U-C-H. This show's website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Sign up to our new weekly email newsletter. Go to canadalandshow.com right now and sign up for Not Sorry, Canada Land's new weekly newsletter right now. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday, and the next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. If you like this show, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.